Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good day, everyone. This is Tony Moskal with your high school sports podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for everyone. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Football might be over, and what a shock. Tom Brady won another ring. I think he has more rings than Imelda Marcos had shoes. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Pitchers and catchers are reporting very soon. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, the 24-hour online casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Joining me right now is the man in charge, uh, Commissioner of the CIF, Rob Wygod. Uh, Rob, I, I know this is a loaded question, but man, how are you? How you doing? How you guys holding up down there? Well, thanks for having me, Tony. It's always good to talk to you and, and be with you. And, you know, we're, we're hanging in there like everybody else. We're just trying to do our best to keep pushing forward and, and just hoping for those days where we get an opportunity to get high school student athletes back out there playing what they love to do. So, uh, you know, that's that's where we are. It's been that way every day since mid-March. And so uh, it's a it's a difficult journey. And, and we're just trying as hard as we can to get to the end of that journey and be able to put this behind us. Well, let's go back to, to March. You know, we just finished soccer and basketball. We, we had some great playoff games, some great matchups. And now all of a sudden we, we hear the rumblings of this virus, of this thing that came over that's shutting things down. What was the first reaction that you guys had down there? Was there an uh-oh, aha type moment? Well, I tell you, that's a great question. And, and I, I vividly remember standing in the doorway of our chief financial officer's office about uh, Tuesday or Wednesday of the last week of February. And we were just finished with our semifinals and all of our winter championship sports. And we were getting ready for the big championship weekend for soccer and for basketball. And I remember saying to him, gosh, you know, I mean, hopefully these next few days and, you know, what whatever's going to happen, uh, you know, we'll be able to to finish the the job, so to speak, for our winter sports. And so we did get through that weekend and it was an incredible weekend of of some really good stuff and, and competition. And then, you know, after that, it, it kind of reverted to state competition. And and at least within the southern section, we were done. And so, uh, you know, just looking at this thing in phases, you know, that was one uh, chapter in the book that we closed and actually were able to complete without really uh, any interruption or, or issue. And then we all know in the next, you know, 10 days or so, it, it, that changed in, it dramatically. Uh, so, you know, as I said, maybe a little bit of a relief that we were able to, to finish everything, but obviously knowing that things might change and then, you know, sure enough, they did. Well, I remember I was driving out to Colony High School to do basketball with Dave Caldwell and, and Dave and I both work in the same school district. And, and he said to me, he said, Hey, are you ready to be out, out of school for a couple of weeks? And I said, yeah, I, I, I guess so, because this was so new to everybody. And the thought of, of a shutdown just never really came into, into play because you thought, nah, this, this kind of thing, it, it'll blow over. Was that your kind of hope or thought process that 
maybe it'll blow over and we can kind of just get the spring sports back going? I think that we all were, as you mentioned, we were a little bit unsure, of course, because this was uh, nothing we've experienced before. But what I, I remember vividly to me, it was, the game changer was the school's closing. I mean, there were there were just this rapid announcement by school district and private school and, you know, virtually everyone we are involved in just were going to be closing. And, and a lot of them had a date they were expecting to reopen. They were going to close in mid-March and they were going to, um, you know, resume in, uh, in the first week of April or second week of April. So there was a lot of that. Uh, we were keeping track of all the schools and districts that were closing and the dates that they were planning to reopen. So that was certainly a game changer when the schools were not open, because obviously if the schools were not open, how were we going to be involved with having student athletes and athletic competition? Yeah. And, and, and we all were kind of caught, I, I think off guard and with, Hey, how do we do this if we do reopen? Because you're looking at teams and programs that you lost two weeks, maybe three weeks. How do we make up games? How do we do all that? But anyway, that, that was all for not because obviously we all shut down. So as, as summer came and that moved along, was there any thought about maybe trying some things in the fall after we kind of shut everything down for the summer? Some of those sports that are naturally socially distant, like golf or tennis? Yeah, there was. And, and in this ongoing, uh, ever-changing situation with calendars and schedules and trying to figure out you know, what could or couldn't be done. There was, there was discussion about that. I think, you know, you have to think back now and, and go back to your memory banks, but we were in a, in a certain situation in the months of May, June, but then it took another real turn in, in July and it started to really go in the other direction. And so as we got closer, uh, we really ended up switching gears as July began, because before that, I think we were, we were thinking it was, it was fairly possible to get some of the fall sports up and running on time. But then as we got into July and things kind of got progressively worse, we realized that there was no way that our, our programs, for example, in football, were going to start the first week of August. They weren't going to be allowed. And our girls volleyball programs and our water polo programs for boys and girls. So, you know, we really knew maybe a cross country or a tennis or a golf would have the potential to get started, but we knew that the other ones would not. And, and so it rapidly got away from us. And so then the idea was, well, we didn't really want to get in a position where some sports would start and have to be stopped. So, you know, statewide, we got to work on the idea of two seasons of sport, trying to fit every sport into one of those two seasons, give them a full regular season, hopefully have some opportunity for championship competition as well. And that's where we had to shift gears, where we felt like those months of August, September, October, you know, those would help us prepare because that was the other point. Any of our programs that were going to try to start in August had no preparation. They had no spring. They had no summer. They had no real way to, to be prepared to get started. And we felt like if we backed off our schedules, then perhaps the months of August, September, October, if things got better, then our student athletes would get the chance to get back in their weight rooms, get back into doing some of the off-season competitions, do some of the things they normally do to run up to their season that was supposed to start mid-December. But clearly, you know, we, we ended up going even further backwards. So by the time we reached the time we hoped to start, you know, things were actually worse off than they were before. What was the thought process going into setting up the sports schedules with now you said, Hey, two seasons where now we're going to go with three seasons where you do the, the sports in December, 
then those end, then you went into, you know, some other ones, and then you had all those spring sports. It looked like it was it was backloaded with a lot of spring sports. And who was involved in all of those decisions, and how did it all come about? Well, the CIF state office and all 10 section commissioners, you know, we spent a lot of time, and again, it, it kept changing. You know, what we were talking about in May and June was three seasons of sport and doing certain things, trying to adjust them. And then, as I mentioned, we we really found that as we got deeper into August, September, October, November, you know, looking ahead, we thought, well, you know, we we want to try to get all the sports. We want to we don't want to be in a position where we had started a fall sports calendar and then at a certain point had to cancel fall sports. We felt like that had happened in the spring and it was devastating for everybody involved. And the last thing we wanted to do was have to cancel a season. So that's why we thought, well, if we back off to mid-December. And we find a way because there really wasn't going to be a way for us to fit three seasons in it, Once that that was decided, the, the winter sports, especially just there, there wasn't going to be a way that they could fit, especially when we were looking at students who want to do more than one sport. So there had to be a separation uh, between the fall and the spring sports so that a cross country student could run track and field. A water polo student could play, uh, could swim in the spring. Uh, a football player could run track. Uh, you know, those kinds of things, or a football player could play baseball or a girls volleyball player could play softball. So, you know, we had that, there were some natural doubles, so to speak, when it comes to student athletes, but then there were also some others that just to try to keep open the opportunity for students who wanted to be in more than one sport and keeping a third season really significantly impacted all these overlaps where it would have been just like students who were in winter sports, let's say basketball and soccer would probably not have had the chance to do anything else. So it was just, you know, we kind of arrived at that as we really began the month of July. And then from there, it was trying to put it all together and keep all the sports alive as long as we could. And and that's what we tried to do. And unfortunately for our fall sports, with the exception of cross country that just began or was allowed to begin last week, you know, our other fall sports have have not been able to, to get started. Our spring sports, we have four sports in the purple tier in the spring, track and field, swimming, golf and tennis. All of those should be able to start on time because they're in purple tier. And then baseball, baseball, softball, and girls lacrosse are are next up in red. And, um, you know, hopefully they're they're not scheduled to start till the middle of March. And they'll get the opportunity to actually try to start on time in the red tier sports. And then having said that, you know, we're still trying and, and continuing to work with the California Department of Public Health, the governor's office, and doing everything we can do to maybe look at these tiers and, and revise them or or based on some information that just came out last week from the uh, National Federation of High Schools, uh, a study on high school sports and and how uh, that is involved in in the transmission of the virus, hoping that we can kind of build on that information to uh, to see if, if some of this can get revised. And and you you just hit on on, on a couple of my questions. So let let's talk. Cross country has started. What which is a great sign. What feedback have you received from those competing as far as how easy or difficult it has been for people to follow the protocols? And are there people out there that are kind of, I, I don't want to say protocol police, but, you know, are making sure that, that people are doing what's correct? Well, you know, the one thing that we've tried to say consistently, and I, and I hope people have remembered because I've spoken about it, I've written about it pretty consistently since, since mid-March. The decision on whether to allow student athletes to return to competition is going to be made by individual schools, school districts, and private schools, following the guidelines of the California Department of Health and their local health authorities. So 
what people are, are maybe failing to realize is even with the go ahead for cross country last Monday, January 25th, some schools immediately got involved in, and started to do it, but some are planning to do it a little bit later or after working through with their district administrations or private school leadership, you know, whatever those circumstances are for that school, you know, there are plans for them to get back out there. So I hope people realize that, you know, there's not going to be this siren that rings out and a hundred percent all clear and everyone's going to coming out at the same time. This is still going to fall to our individual schools and school districts and private schools to make the decisions in the best interests of their schools and their communities. So, you know, the, the feedback on those who have been out there already and had some competition has been incredible. I don't think cross country has ever had this much attention uh, for that particular sport, but you know, you're reading the comments, you're reading the articles and seeing how just the, the ability to get back out there, do something that, that student athletes love to do and, and the opportunity to compete and be with their teammates and, and just all the great things that education-based athletics offers young people. Uh, certainly in this just baby step, if you will, with cross country, you know, we're saying nothing but, but positive about just getting something going for students. Now, with some districts towards reopening, and you mentioned the NFHS, and we'll we'll get into that in a minute. I believe I saw something that uh, Huntington Beach opened up with a hybrid model, and if they're able to play games within their district, um, is that a district decision, or did, does the CIF and the California Department of Public Health have anything to say about that? And then when you look at some districts, like the district I'm in, we've got seven comprehensive high schools. Or you go out to Thousand Oaks where there are, are districts with only two high schools. What's the plan there for or the ideas that we may have to come up with for competition if a small district can open or versus a larger district that can open? I think that's one of the things about last week or I guess the week before our, our announcement that we unfortunately had to cancel the fall sports championships, the Southern Section Championships. But what that was doing because we had to do it on the other end was allowing more flexibility for schools to schedule as they wish. Once we remove our dates that are fixed dates for the end of the regular season and championship competition, when those dates now become open dates, so to speak, schools can, can use that time frame remaining in their seasons to schedule anybody that they wish. So we think that's a, at least a, a benefit in, in one way, I uh, certainly would prefer to have had our section championships, and I think our schools would too. But if we can't, then at least give them the maximum amount of time available to try to get as many competitions as they can get for their students. So that's kind of what that's about. So leagues and traditional, you know, that may have a couple of districts involved in the same league. That's not necessarily your case where you are, but we have leagues with multiple school districts in them. You know, there might be one district that's open and, and allowing to play and another that may not. So that without a championship model in place, then those schools that are playing can certainly reach out to others and those that are not within their league, uh, their configuration to go ahead and play some games in the time that's left before the season's over. You, know, you mentioned the uh, the purple, the red, the, all the tiers, and the NFHS information that just came out from their sports medical advisory committee, that they're going away from the tiered system and looking at, at five factors. Is that going to, I, I think that that's a positive for getting kids back out there. What are you guys, what's the discussion like at your office and throughout the state with this new information? Well, I felt it was very encouraging because it, it really reinforced what we did back in October. Our CIF Sports Medicine Advisory Committee 
submitted, we submitted a plan in consultation with them to the California Department of Public Health to have all sports return in the red tier. And we believe that there didn't need to be a differentiation between high risk, medium risk, low risk, but that all the sports, if, if there could be some progress made with community spread, would be able to be conducted in the red tier. Well, what we received back was not, not that. We got information back from the California Department of Public Health and changed some sports to purple, kept some in red. But a lot of our, our major sports, bigger sports, were put into orange and even some of them put into yellow. So that was disappointing because we always believed that we could conduct all the sports in the same manner. So this, this information that, that basically says the same thing, we feel is significant. And we've had meetings this week with the California Department of Public Health, the governor's office. We're making sure that they're aware of this research and this study. And uh, we're trying our best to keep pressing the case to allow the opportunity to, to get education-based athletics to return. So uh, it's, it's a, a conversation that with numbers improving, which over the last two to three weeks we've seen, we have seven counties in the southern section footprint. The uh, numbers of cases per 100,000 positivity rates have all improved uh, dramatically over the last couple of weeks. So that helps the conversation. This information from the NFHS, we believe, helps the conversation. And again, just asking for the opportunity. We believe education-based athletics can return in a healthy and safe way. We believe we're the people that can do it. Our school people, our educational professionals will do it right. If unfortunately we have to have a hiccup or an interruption, we will handle that right too. But if we keep our eyes on the big picture, we get more and more student athletes back out there. And so that just, again, that's an ongoing conversation that we are continuing to press the case and just hoping that we can get some kind of uh, revisions to some of these these decisions and get, get our, our students back. I've seen a lot of negativity on social media because it seems like that's what social media is these days. And it's directed towards the Southern section, towards the CIF office, about the handling of this and you guys are, you know, stopping kids from playing and it's the CIF's fault and they're not doing their job. But th that can't be any further from the truth because you guys, I know you guys down there, you're not really making the decisions and your goal is to get these kids back out there because it is so important. But there are so many other people making the decision, the governor, the Department of Public Health, no matter what, how have you guys dealt with that backlash from people? Well, there's there's no question that it, that it's been uh, disappointing to see that. I think people are very misinformed on on the situation as a whole, and certainly our role in it. I, I mean, if anyone truly believes that the CIF Southern Section does not want student athletes to be back playing sports, I mean, they are completely misinformed and completely wrong. It's what we do. It's our mission. It's what I've spent. This is my 41st year involved in education-based athletics in some capacity, and, and it's been my life. So it, it's hard to be working as hard as we are, but doing everything we've been doing. There have been no days off since mid-March. It's been constant every single day in the effort to, to get this to return, and, and, and that won't stop. I mean, we'll continue to press on. Um, and it's a professional thing first because it is our organization, and it is – what we do, but it's personal too. I, we, we furloughed seven members of our staff. The people that are remaining here have all taken income cuts and are, and are paying medical benefits out of their own pockets. I mean, anyone believing this is what we would want is just completely wrong. And so it is, it is difficult to do that. I, I, 
I wish people were more understanding and realizing that what they're saying is the same thing we are saying. We want the same things. But I do understand also that people are angry. People are frustrated. People are upset. They're going to lash out. And we are part of that. Uh, I'm angry, upset, and frustrated too. But I'm going to keep focused on trying to, to turn this around and make it happen. And uh, again, just if we can get our message out so people understand better, maybe we we do uh, make a difference in terms of at least giving people the right information. Go ahead and make your decisions, but you should be making informed decisions. And so those people that that have really come after us and, and made life very difficult in that respect, I just wish they had all the information in front of them before maybe they said what they said. But I don't do Twitter. I don't do Instagram. Uh, I never did before. I don't do it now. I am on Facebook. I do read it. Uh, and again, I'm just going to continue to be focused on what we need to do. And uh, those we can can get to understand and, and have the open mindedness to understand it, you know, good for them. And, and hopefully they do get it. And I have had a lot of that. I've had a lot of people have contacted me. I've had the chance to explain things and then have actually said, you know, we appreciate you letting us know where this sits and how this works. For those that that will carry the attitude that they have, regardless of what is said or done, you know, there's not much you can do with them. And, and that's how I try to go through it. And, and you've been all over the place. You, you've been on the radio. I think you were on Petros and Money. I know you were on, I think it was either Channel 2 or Channel 5, trying to get that word out there. And, and I think that's great. Have you ever gone home or have you just had one of those days where the frustration level was so big where you just, you know, lock your office door, turn the lights off and just sit there and put your head in your hands and think, okay, I got to take a deep breath and think how we're going to get through this next crisis? You know, it's really not my nature to do that. I think the reason, obviously, that we have been trying our best to keep the message going is we feel like we need to continue to talk about getting students back. We need to continue to advocate for them and, and on behalf of them. And so any opportunity that we can to get that message out is, is really been our effort. I, I don't, you know, I'm not out there to, to talk about the different opinions that people might have or whatever, whatever. I'm trying to just, you know, make sure that we are clear in the direction that we're going and clear in what we're trying to do. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it's not something that, that uh, isn't frustrating at times, but I just know what and who we're trying to advocate for. And I just can't be swept away from that effort and, and that desire to really come through for them and deliver what they love to do and what we love to watch them do. So you know, I, I the one thing that is different in, in one respect is there's a natural ebb and flow to a particular school year. You know that you're involved with us when it's really busy and crazy at times. Then, you know, there's a little bit of a breather and then we come back and kind of do it again. And the one thing about mid-March until now is there really hasn't been that. It's been steady. There hasn't been that time frame where, you know, it's backed off a little bit and been quieter or calmed down a little bit. Then you kind of recharge the battery, get ready for the next busy time. This has been a constant constant every single day, seven days a week, you know, almost now going on to 11 months of uh, the effort to get us back to what we love. And and so from that respect, uh, I'm just, again, got to do what we can and get to the end of this thing and put it behind us. And when we look at it, you know, you kind of look at the the when this whole thing started, you know, spring sports got canceled and, and we were all, you know, hoping and, you know, trying to be positive that we get back. You know, those spring sport athletes from last year, they, they may lose basically half of their high school career. 
how desperate are we to to hopefully get those seasons in? And and what's it really going to take for us? Well, I, I completely understand that perspective because I, I agree with that. It, it's absolutely mind-boggling to think if we aren't able to restore spring sports and, and the opportunities for student-athletes involved in those sports, that, that the thought that they would have missed two of their four years of high school without it, uh, I just, you know, I can't comprehend that. And that's why, again, as we look towards the spring, it was a very high priority to make sure we kept our spring sports there. It's why we moved boys' volleyball, if, if you remember originally. Boys volleyball was going to be a fall sport if we could get started trying to help with gym facilities and some other things like that and have boys and girls volleyball together in the fall. And when we've seen that uh, go away, we moved boys volleyball to the spring just to try again to do everything we can do so that they don't miss a second season in a row. So uh, it's a high priority for us and really why we want to stay the course with our spring sports schedules. It's an ambitious list. We understand that. But we really believe that those student athletes have have missed more than any of them. And uh, and they're the ones that we really hope are are able to get that experience back. So uh, we've been doing that. And I I do want to, if I can, just very quickly, you know, I know we talked a little bit about those that are taking the shots at us. But, you know, I'd be remiss to say I've gotten a lot of people, too, who have reached out and thanked us and and thanked me and told me how much they appreciate and support what we're trying to do. Uh, Our school people have been incredibly supportive. Our, Our principals, athletic directors, coaches, I've been incredibly supportive and uh, and I want to make sure and acknowledge that. And I get emails every day and calls every day from people saying, you know, keep keep it up. Keep fighting for kids. Keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate the efforts that you're making. Um, that that's that's a big part of things, too. So a, a lot of times, you know, those that make the most noise maybe get get noticed, but they're not maybe as many people as you think, but they just make the most noise. There's an awful lot of people who have also reached out to say how much they appreciate us and, and, uh, and understand the situation and, and our role in it. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's something that I would always want people to know. Uh, there's, there's a lot of people too, that, that do understand this and, and do know that the last thing in the world we want is, is for kids not to be playing. Yeah. It's the old, the squeaky wheel gets the grease type of thing. And, you know, there are people out there are sports that are competing granted, not, not, you know, sanctioned by, the Southern section, you know, you see a lot of, you know, club soccer teams still practicing. And, and I, I live by a public park and there's, there's, you know, softball teams or, you know, youth baseball teams and stuff like that going on. But the one thing that has kind of stirred up a hornet's nest, and we know people will always find alternatives, it is the club football stuff. And I, I know we're all forgetting kids their last chance to play. But, and, and you know, I think that there are some good things about it. Kids are playing what were your first thoughts when you saw this whole thing start to pop up? Well, you know, it's been incredibly frustrating. And I know that's why people are really uh, angry about this. I mean, there are those that are participating in club sports who are happy that their students are getting a chance to, to be active and be involved. But then there are others, you know, on school campuses and others who are really upset because the, the idea that the, the education-based athletics organizations are following the guidelines and following public health recommendations and those outside the education-based athletics world are not. What people, again, are they informed? The guidelines for youth sports are not just for high schools. And the club has a different set of rules. It's the same rules. It's just a difference in terms of the commitment to trying to follow them. And uh, and I say the same thing when people have asked me about club football. I, I think there are student athletes who love to play the game. I won't 
begrudge them for wanting to play football. I played football in high school and I loved it. It changed my life. But I will tell you that it's not Friday Night Lights and it's not the student section and it's not the band and it's not the cheerleaders and it's not the community coming out to support your high school football programs. It's a Saturday on a cow pasture in Chino. And I think any student out there playing, if they have the choice between playing club football or playing high school football, knows what high school football is, being with their teammates and and all the time and effort they put in as a group uh, versus a bunch of individual students getting together on a club team and going out there on Saturday. So, you know, there's there's something special about what we do and it's unique and it's special. And I think people value it. And uh, I think when we're ready to come back, they will appreciate it even more. And so that's that's really the uh, the thought about club football. It's it's not replacing what we have in education based athletics. And anyone who thinks that's the case, uh, I think, would be mistaken. Well, it's funny. I talked to a couple kids on our football team and I asked them about it. And they said, you know what, if I was a junior right now, I wouldn't be doing it. The only reason I'm doing it is because I'm a senior and I may not have a season. And I said, what about you guys miss Friday nights? And and they say, Mr. Moscow, we absolutely miss Friday nights. We love competing for our school. And, and you're absolutely right. That Friday night lights, the fanfare with everybody out there is is such a great experience for everybody. And years later, we all still talk about it. Um, as it's gained momentum, and, and people have said it could be a viable spring league, has the CIF entertained any thoughts about changing the format of spring practice to maybe allow for a few padded practices or controlled scrimmages within that spring time frame? Well, I don't know if we've gotten that far yet, but I will tell you that that we feel that Tackle football in January and February and, and so forth is is a direct result of not having it in August, September, and October, November. So when we do get back to what we would call a normal season of sport or what we're used to, then I think we all have to be very cognizant of the idea that no one plays tackle football year-round. No one should be playing a 10, 11, 12, 13-game fall football season finishing that and then starting up again in January, February, and March. Nobody does that, and nobody should do that. So if there's going to be some changes, I think we'll we'll be looking at something like that going forward because I can't imagine anyone that would, would think that that's a good thing for young people to be involved in. So uh, whether that leads to something like uh, increased opportunities in the spring or something like they do at the college level or, or other levels, I don't know. We'll see. But I think the the evidence on on football and concussions and and contact and the rules that are involved in that, I think we've made a lot of progress in in making the game safer. So the answer to making the game safer is not to double the length of season or double the amount of of football games that students play. In in words of tackle football, I think we uh, we'd be definitely going down the wrong direction if uh, we started to look at things like that. If we do have a football season, will kids that competed in club Will they be allowed to play for their high schools or is there an eligibility thing involved with that? They would be allowed to play for their high schools because the only time that bylaw 600 CIF bylaw 600, which states that you can't play for a high school team and a non high school team in the same season of sport that, that the violation would be once you've played for your high school. So none of the students so far have played football games for their high schools, which means they are playing for outside of high school teams but once they would play in a high school game for their high school team, and then they went back to playing in a non-high school game, that would be a violation of the rule. 
the penalty is a suspension of two games for every one they would play in the uh, outside of high school competition. And if it's not caught by uh, their school or by anyone knowing that that has happened, the school will actually have to forfeit any games that the student played in before they were suspended. So they have to serve their suspensions. They can play again. But if they are playing before those suspensions were served or before it was known that the student had played for an outside team, the school has to forfeit those games until the student's suspension is served. So it's a, it's a pretty severe penalty. But again, no one would have violated it to this point. They would only violate it if they play in a high school game during the high school season, then go back to play in a club game before then trying to come back and play high school again. Um, okay, there's. I think there's still some issues with returning to play. Uh, for me, where I am, and I was talking to my uh, administrator in charge of athletics, you know, we're talking about transportation and we're talking about facilities and public parts that we sometimes use and, and golf courses. Is somebody coming up with a suggested protocol for districts or would we kind of be on our own to figure that out? Like if I take six kids to a golf match, I certainly can't put them in my car to go because there is no social distancing. You know, a, a bus for six kids is a little extravagant. Are those discussions going on right now? Well, they would be going on at the district levels and at, at private school leadership. And, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, that that scenario where the schools really do decide when their kids come back and they're going to have to be consulting with their risk management departments and and, and administrations to make sure that whatever those plans are, are approvable under the guidelines and uh, it can be carried through. So uh, again, those are going to be individual decisions. And some of that is why a few cross-country schools maybe got started before other cross-country schools because their own schools and districts were were navigating through. If we're going to go to a place for a cross-country meet, how are the students going to get there? And what are the protocols going to be for our students at our schools? And that might be different than another district or a private school and their students. And that's all part of that. And that's going to play out in every sport when the time comes. Because uh, as I mentioned, even with our guidelines, and with the things that are out there for people, uh, schools are still going to, these are the students that, that, that our schools are responsible for directly. And they're going to have to to make sure that when they go forward, they're doing it appropriately, uh, not only with the California Department of Public Health and local health authority guidelines, but even what their own schools and districts and private schools are willing to uh, accept and, and what protocols they put in place. Wow, that's a lot, Rob. It's a lot, a lot of information in, in, a, in a short amount of time. And and, you know, I know you guys are working your tails off down there. We at the school level are, you know, we're doing everything we can to to try and get these kids back out there. And, and you know, with the, the grace of some higher power, hopefully that can happen. I, I want to thank I cannot thank you enough. I, I know you're insanely busy, but, you know, for taking the time to talk to me about this and and kind of get the word out about what you guys are doing, what you've done. And, and the plan for the future of, of education-based athletics in our section. Well, thanks, Tony. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, you know, you like me, you're a passionate high school sports fan, and, and uh, that's why I think we enjoy uh, talking to each other. So, you know, again, I appreciate the chance to be with you, and uh, we want the same things. We, we are on the same page. We want to return to play in a healthy and safe way, and until we can get that done, we're going to be fighting as hard as we can, advocating as strongly as we can, to, uh, to get the student-athletes back to what they love and what we love to watch them do. Well, Rob, I thank, thank you again for taking the time, and hopefully we get something going and, and our paths can cross during 
some future season before the end of this school year. Sounds good, my friend. You take care. All right, Rob. Thank you very much. Uh, Rob Wygod, CIF Commissioner, uh, taking the time to talk with me about this today. Uh, Let's keep pushing forward with masks and social distancing and get these young people back out on the field. The pendulum may be swinging in a good direction, so let's, let's hope and pray that that keeps happening. Until the next time, enjoy the rest of your day. On this week's edition of Where Are They Now with our CIF Southern Section alumni, we head to Canyon Country, California, where wide receiver Drew Walatarski, you may remember him, class of 2013, graduated from Canyon as the state leader in receptions and yards. He left Canyon with 281 total receptions and 5,148 yards. Drew went on to star at the University of Minnesota, where he hauled in 130 catches, which is eighth all-time in Gopher history, for 1,749 yards, which is ninth in Gopher history. Presently, Drew is a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers of the Canadian Football League, where he has hauled in 79 catches for 1,026 yards and nine touchdowns. If you've got any suggestions for this little segment, please shoot them my way at TonyMoskal at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.